Welcome to the Hope United Church Podcast. We are one church with two locations. For video live streams of our services and more information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk. of Acts as we know and we are now at part five. I've wrote part four here and last week we were in Pentecost. Uh, it was Pentecost Sunday and, I'm, and I really intended getting through a lot more scriptures but I, I never get through near as many as uh, I wanted uh, or as always usually is the same. So let's just quickly read through the first four verses I spoke on last week, Acts 2, 24. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord and one place. There were, as we know, around 120 in the upper room. Verse 2, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Uh, the point that they were sitting tells us, as I said last week, that they were not praying for the Holy Spirit to come. They were being praying sporadically uh, over those few days, but they were not specifically tarrying, as you would maybe hear a word in the Pentecostal church, for the Holy Spirit to come. They would have no clue how to do that anyway. Uh, uh, and then it says, verse, verse 3, uh, before I go there, it says, a heavenly sound. Uh, they were a heavenly sound, and it says like Russian wind. Luke can't quite... How would you describe a heavenly sound? So he said it's it's like it was like the sound of a rushing wind, but it's it's a heavenly sound that was beyond that. And it was a real sound, which is pretty amazing. This heavenly sound that came while they were just sitting in the upper room. And then verse 3, and there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. As of fire again. It didn't say it was fire, it was as of fire. And one sat upon each of them. So all who were in that room received personally first the baptism of the Holy Spirit and then verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. We went into detail about the difference between baptizing the Holy Spirit, then being filled and walking in the fullness of the Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And as I say, that's where we spent much time last week after we spent time talking about the feasts, the Jewish feasts, uh, uh, different, as I say, from baptism, that's a one-time thing, but to be filled is to walk in the fullness of the Spirit. If you are following our study of Ephesians at the moment, and uh, you, there's a lot of talk about being filled, especially the second part of chapter 4, and what it means to walk in the fullness of that spirit, to walk in the fullness of God and not to grieve the Holy Spirit by walking in that fullness. Uh, and if you've not listened to any of them, you can get them on YouTube or, yeah, I think that's where you'll get them. Just drop us an email and we'll be able to get through all of them. I think we've done, at the moment, we've done about 32 episodes or more uh, so far on that. I touched in tongues and utterances last week, but again, we ran out of time. And I want to talk more on that as we move through and walk through the proceeding events of this wonderful one-time event of Pentecost, which birthed the start of the church of Jesus Christ. And two words here to note was tongues is glossa, is a Greek word glossa. Uh, another Greek word for tongue would be uh, dialectos. It's where we would get the word dialect from dialectos, dialectos. In Greek, they pronounce every single letter. So it's just, just for reference. Every We would just say dialect. There would be words that we... But they pronounce every letter, so it's dialectos. Uh, 
meaning a natural language or a real language, glossa, a natural language or a real language, it means utterances, apathegomai, speaking forth plainly, it means. So in real language, speaking forth plainly, that's the two words. So a real language, a real language spoken plainly, not gibberish that you would hear in, uh, if you've ever been in Pentecostal charismatic church, no gibberish. And they were all filled and spoke real languages plainly. The purpose of tongues had a few reasons during Pentecost I did touch on, which we will open up a bit more today. One being God was saying we are no longer just one nation, Israel. It's also judgment as well. If you look at Old Testament and speaking, if you read Isaiah 28, I think, uh, in different verses there, Jeremiah talks about it. Uh, we're all one, but one of the things is we're all one in Christ and I no longer make distinction with who's mine and who's not. Uh, hence why you use Galileans, which we'll get into in a minute. Uh, Apostle Paul dedicated a whole chapter to the abuse and the correction of the use of tongues uh, to the church in Corinth that was an absolute disaster. The church in Corinth was a mess with trickery, drunkenness, debauchery, all sorts of sin had crept in to the church in Corinth, all sorts of stuff, all sorts of trickery. Uh, it became like a house that had parties and all sorts of stuff was going on in the church in Corinth and it was a mess. Uh, all sorts of immorality was going on, abuse of so-called spiritual gifts was absolutely rife, especially when it came to speaking in tongues and all, all that kind of thing. And it was a wash in the church. And Paul went to town and if you read, if you read the, the, the letter to the Corinthians and the, the tone of the letter to the church in Corinth compared to the letter to the church in Ephesus, you'll, you'll hear massive contrast. There, it's all love and it's all grace and it's all truth. But, but it's, a, it's, a, it's a much more corrective uh, letter in many, many senses. Not all, but just, just on that. But let me just read First Corinthians, some uh, verses. I read them last week uh, just to give a bit of understanding here before we move on. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking... So this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth about the abuse of tongues. If I come to you speaking with tongues... What shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying or by teaching, even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction of the sound. No, so any instrument, so whether it be a harp or whether it be a, a flute, whether it be a bugle that would play, the sound would be distinct to understand the different notes. It wouldn't just be one sound, especially if you think you're sounding a bugle when... It would make a different sound that would, would that would mean that they were going into battle. Uh, so distinction of sounds. And often what happens is that you see this in what would have been happening in the Corinthian church, and you even see this in the church, uh, the charismatic church today, is, is everybody's praying in tongues and it all sounds the same. Or there might be a bit of distinction, but you wouldn't be able to know anyway. Uh, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? And in other versions, it will say bugle. So likewise, you, unless you utter by, by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. 
there are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. None of them is without significance. Therefore, if you do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, so he's saying you're zealous for spiritual gifts, you seem to want these spirit. You could, have, you, could write that and, you could write that and put it on a wall in a Pentecostal charismatic church today. If you're zealous for, I've got a gift, I want a gift, I want a gift. If you're zealous for spiritual gifts, if you desire spiritual gifts, uh, let it be for the edification. Yeah. <laughs> Meaning for the building up. It's a common word that you'll see and you know, you'll have heard me mention it a lot. It's a common, very common word that you would use many, many times uh, in the New Testament for edification, for building up, for, for establishing of the church that we, that you seek to excel. Uh, and we hit in verse 13, 14 again as Paul then becomes sarcastic. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue, a tongue, there's a big difference here between tongues and a tongue, but we're not going to get into it. A tongue, that sounds German, doesn't it? Uh, pray that he may interpret. John MacArthur's quote again I mentioned last week. Well, you're blabbering away and you're unintelligible, uh, pseudo tongues, you could at least ask God to give you some meaning. That would at least make it beneficial, end quote. And then it goes on and says, verse 14, for I, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays but my understanding is unfruitful. Well, it can't be the Holy Spirit. When it's saying a spirit, my spirit, it can't be the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit would never be unfruitful. So therefore, when it says, when I pray in my spirit, my spirit prays, it can't be the Holy Spirit because there's no such a thing as unfruitful. Why would the Holy Spirit be unfruitful? It's never unfruitful. I just say that, it doesn't really matter. The Holy Spirit, the part of the Trinity would speak and it doesn't mean anything. Nor is it helpful. Well, it can't be the Holy Spirit. Verse 15. What is the conclusion then? I pray that with the Spirit and I also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit and I will also sing with understanding. Verse 16, 17. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks since he does not understand what you say for you indeed give thanks well but the other is not edified so there's no edification in the building up of everybody's shabadoon and praying in tongues and all sorts of stuff there's no edification there's no okadameo there's no building up there's no establishing there's no foundation there's no growth of the body there's no growing of the body in that stuff. And you'll find out if you've ever been in it. I was for years. It never grew the body. But what it did is, it did become very individual and very self-centered and very, it became all about you or, or about the person who was in part in the stuff. There is nothing more clear in the purpose and the true gift of tongues than what comes from verse 22 to 25 as Paul continues. Therefore, tongues are for a sign not to those who believe, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. If, to if tongues are, uh, are for unbelievers, then all this nonsense gibberish that you hear, all this shabadab, if, if tongues are for unbelievers, then why would that help them? 
It says here it's for, but for unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. And when we mean prophesying, prophesying meaning opening God's word and speaking from it. This is what we're meaning here. We're not meaning what's your name, where are you from? No, God's told me to tell you that you have to go to uh, Hamilton next Tuesday at half past two and you have to meet wee Jimmy who's going to take you. That's not what we mean because that's no edifying the body either. That's usually glorifying the person that's given instruction and the person that's hearing it. It's certainly no edifying any of the body. I've been in those meetings where, where you've got some prophet, so-called prophet or prophetess, standing and saying, pointing things out like a comedian, as if to say, well, this is what God's told me to tell you. You've got nothing to do with anything. Not what's, no, it's not what's your name and I have a word for you. That doesn't edify the body. Verse 23, therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you're out of your mind? Yeah. I always remember this. I don't want to get into any detail. Years ago, I remember my mum, long before I was a believer and I was probably in that journey. Of course I was in that journey. God was leading me. And I remember my mum went to a a really full-on Pentecostal charismatic church. Uh, she was invited and she went, and there's different stuff going on there. I don't want to get into detail. But I can always remember her leaving. She never went back again and she left and it was a, I think it was a Wednesday night service and it was a full-on Holy Spirit tongue fest meeting. And she was, to say, she was not just confused, she was scared. She was frightened. She was talking... Now, what, I'll tell you what Pentecostal charismatics will say. Well, it's because God's no... Really? Really? Read the word. Uh, I'll tell you what my mother thought. My mother thought exactly what it says here. My mother thought exactly what Paul says, that she would think. Go figure. But she didn't think with the Pentecostal charismatics that were having a tongue party going on. She never thought about... She never thought what they thought. She actually thought what Paul said she would think. That they were out of their mind. Yeah. And this tells us that it's no gibberish when this is spoke, ever. It's actual languages. If tongues are for unbelievers and they come to church and the church is all going in some ranting nonsense, how will an unbeliever have any clue? Why would God speak? Here's, a, here's something really, really practical here. Why would God speak to an unbeliever in a strange language? Why would God speak? Because if it's for unbelievers, as Paul says, why would God speak to an unbeliever in a strange language? Why? Surely when you're an unbeliever, more than anything, you need God to speak to you more clearly than ever. It's clear I needed God to speak to me. Non riddles. Riddles confuse me more. If they don't believe in God or have faith in him, why would speaking in gibberish help? But if all prophecy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person come in, he is convinced by all. He is convicted by what? The word. Meaning he's convicted by all. And I think that's why Paul says, I'm more than most speaking tongues. And, and he's not declaring, decrying a gift of tongue. We don't know. He says, I'm more than most speaking. And it's interesting that Paul says, I'm more than most speaking tongues. Never mentions it again. Ever. Like Ever. I'm more than most speaking tongues. You'll not hear, hear Paul talking about it ever again. 
That's the kind of position and the level of importance that he places on. And for what we know is, and based on what we hear here, Paul was probably be able to been given this gift of tongues when he would speak and go to all across the world and all across every nation as he went across Asia and bringing the gospel message to the Gentiles. Uh, that's why he says he preached Christ and him crucified. No, no in a foreign tongue, no in gibbery. It, it, it was not important for him to talk about it. That's why he's rebuking the Corinthian church that was becoming a self-indulgent mess. And many of them then interpreting wrong as well. It wasn't just that they were speaking in it, they had false interpretations as well, uh, which then justified doing it. And that's what it does. Because if you've got somebody saying the Lord would say, and the Lord would say, and the Lord would say, and the Lord would say, then it just justifies what's happening is. And them it's saying the Lord would say is also them that's saying. Uh, and thus, uh, verse 25, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. You can't pray in gibberish and reveal the secrets of somebody's heart. It's the word of God that reveals the secrets of your heart. And so falling down on his face, that's if he's truly saved and been convicted, he will worship God and report what God has truly done among you. Well, we know that's true, but it says here in verse 25. We actually know exactly this is true because he was ready to come up here in Acts chapter 2. He concludes with saying what happens when you preach the word. Hence, that's what matters. No self-indulgence and fake interpretations. Okay, now that we have said this, uh, let's go to verse 5. <laughs> uh, let's move on. I'll, I'll read verse 4 first. So they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse 5. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men, from every nation. This is important. You should highlight that. Uh, every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak, which is in his own language. Well, of course it was real languages because how else would the Spirit use believers full of the Spirit? Why would they have them speaking in gibberish based on all that I've said? They heard them speak in their own language. During Pentecost, they would be maybe two million, I don't know the exact number, literally millions of people in Jerusalem making a pilgrimage, some, some uh, Jewish people from Jerusalem, many there, but also pilgrimages from all over uh, Asia, Asia Minor, Europe, uh, everywhere, Africa, and they would be congregating there. Many of them probably stayed because of the length of the journey. It's not as if they could fly. Uh, many of them probably would have stayed there from Passover right through and stayed the whole 50 days uh, on this pilgrimage. Um, and the upper room was in the centre. As we know, the upper room was in the centre of Jerusalem. It would have been near the city centre. And Jews from Jerusalem, as well as all over Europe, as I say, Asia Minor, would be making their pilgrimage to Jerusalem for this feast. To de devote men from every nation who were there uh, to fulfill tradition and law. And we went into that last week. Um, and then they heard the sound. They heard the sound. It wasn't the sound of tongues they heard. It was the sound for heaven as well that they heard. And they followed it to the house. This is a stone. Picture this. So they hear the sound of heaven. They don't know what it is. What was that? What was, I'll tell you what the sound was like. It was a sound that made you go and find out what it was. It wasn't a sound go, I wonder what that is, and you move on. No, like, it's, it's a sound that was so unusual that you had to go and investigate. 
and followed it to the house then where the 120 were. Don't you think it's amazing how God orchestrates these, this whole thing? And when they arrive, they hear people speaking in their native, in their native language. They just show you how much God truly loves all people and truly wants the Jews to turn to Christ and all people. And whom does he use? Galileans, which are Guinea. The outcasts, the uneducated, the runts of the Jewish world. That's how Galileans were viewed. Can anything good come from Nazareth, which is in Galilee? It talked about Jesus, no, in 1 John 46. Can anything good, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's how they were viewed. Even people, even people of Nazareth didn't think people from Nazareth was any good. They didn't even believe Jesus. Oh, that's the carpenter's son. No, he couldn't be the Messiah. No, from this area. That's how they, they, the world viewed them that way, but they even viewed themselves that way. Uh, Jesus could do no miracles there because of their unwillingness or because of their unbelief. Galileans were known for being practical workers, fishermen, carpenters. No educated and certainly no people who could speak different languages. That level would probably be reserved to the very well-to-do and educated who would have a different role in life. Galileans had no need whatsoever to speak other languages, to learn other languages. Their whole life was based around their work. Usually fishing or carpentry or something practical and they're providing for their family. Then it says, verse 70, 12, then they were all amazed. And marveled, saying to one another, look, are not all these who, sp who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear, wait hear this, this is astounding. How is it that we each hear in our own language, wait hear this, in which we were born? Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Uh, Jews and proselytes, uh, oh, we're going to that, doesn't matter. Cretans and Arabs, we all hear them speaking in our own tongues. What are they speaking? The wonderful works of the Lord. The wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? And this is so important when I say this. We hear them in our own language. And it's when they say which we were born. More, more than that, probably within each district. So there are thousands and thousands of people, millions of people, thousands of them hearing the sound. And then come into the house in the upper room in the center of Jerusalem. And then they come here in these 120 common, uneducated Galileans speaking to them in their dialectos. Speaking to them glossa. Speaking to them clearly in their own dialect. In which, it says here, in which they were born. And I'll just pick up on that. The word born is uh, genos. Uh, where we would get the word, uh, 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 another word is genau. Uh, 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 it's where we would get the word, uh, the Hebrew would be begot. It's where they get begot. And and it would actually, it's just it's just no born. It's meaning right into the environment. Right into the environment and where they were born and where they were created in. 
So within every environment, and, and this is no for fact, but you can pretty much, and in, in the detail here, you know, and there were 120 people all speaking. And they were have been speaking, not just the language, but the dialect. The dialect. So if you get somebody from up north, they speak Doric, which is just a dialect. It's, 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 it's nearly English. It's English unless two of them are talking at the same time uh, to each other. Then, it's a, then it becomes a different language altogether. Uh, I say that because we've got brothers and sisters in Christ from that area. Uh, and their dialect's different. Their dialect's different. And they'd be speaking in the dialect in what they were born they were speaking in a dialect in which they were born. And when they say in which they were born, it's not just same language, but possibly the same tone as well. Uh, and God in his amazingness is doing only what he can. That's just how much he loves. He's not just speaking to the people and, you know what, I'm speaking English. Or I'm speaking, I'm speaking Syrian. I'm speaking, I'm speaking Iranian. I'm speaking Arabic. I'm speaking, uh, I'm speaking in the Greek language. I'm speaking in the language in what you were born. Yeah. Speak, and he's speaking through these men into the hearts of who? Thousands who came to Jerusalem to follow the traditions and laws. What do they speak? To the very core of whom they are in their own language, the wonderful works of God. No need to interpret. Don't need to interpret. They all understand it. Clearly what they're getting said. It says they were all amazed. Now imagine, imagine, he's, he's speaking. Now you can imagine, imagine there's somebody standing, just, just time, as time goes here, there's somebody standing here and there's somebody standing from Iran, okay, Mesopotamia, there's somebody standing from there and then there's somebody standing here, an Arab, and then here there's somebody from, somebody from Crete and here there's somebody from Libya and, and they're going, Do you hear? we don't know who's speaking who. It could be Pierre that was speaking Libyan, it could be Pierre that was speaking Arabic, it could be John that was speaking Greek. It could be somebody else that's speaking in an African language. You go, he's speaking to me. No, he's speaking to me. No, he's speaking to me. No, he's that one speaking to me. And they're all, it's astounding. And they're hearing what? The wonderful works of God. They were both astounded and confused. And confused does not mean that they were confused as, we're confused as we've not got a clue what they're saying. We're confused as in what is going on here? That these Galileans can seem to speak right into your life about our, in our own dialect, in our own clear, plain language. As always, many received. As always when you preach God's word, many received it and were convicted or, let me just add, or were just about to be, not quite at this moment, but it's, it's coming in literally minutes or I don't know how long, but it's coming. Well, as always, when God speaks, as others mocked and found a way to deny God's word speaking through these men. Still found a way. It'd be easy to deny God using these men to speak through them if they were talking gibberish. And why would God make it easy for people to deny him by no speaking clearly? Others mocked and found a way. And that, let me just add there, this is why we have to speak God's word clearly. And what I just said in the first few minutes at the start, which I could have elaborated on more, and by all manner of means, let's talk about it if you want. But no, the, the, we speak clearly. So that people can understand. 
Others mocked and found a way to deny God. Words speaking through these men. Even though they heard it, they heard it, they heard Galileans, uneducated men, and they heard them, they heard the sound of heaven, then they heard them clearly speak. These common Galileans clearly speak in their native birth dialect and still decided to say they're full of new wine. Still decided to say they're talking nonsense. I, I don't know, I, I, was, I can have lived like that before I get saved. I'm like, that's, that's a load of rubbish. You're still going to get people saying that's a load of rubbish. They were full of new wine. Uh, it's, it's the, the new wine glucose. That's where we get like, look as it's full of sugar. Glucose is new wine, fermented wine, and it was very inebriating, very strong. But they were, of course, not speaking glucose. They were speaking glossy. If you look at if you look in the Greek lexicon, if you look in the Greek dictionary, they're, very, they're right next to each other. I'm not saying that that matters that they're next to each other, but maybe they're confused. Which was real and full of the Holy Spirit. As I conclude, how amazing is the land God has went to to speak into their lives? How amazing is the land God has went to orchestrating all this? to speak into these men's life in the day of Pentecost. And then if you look at the Old Testament and praying about, about uh, languages and how God orchestrates all that, which we don't have to take any, it's astounding. But then again, you have to add and not to kind of try and create a parallel that doesn't exist, but of course, in a sense it does. How amazing has God spoken to your life of that matter? And the length he's went to speak into every single one of your lives. Many of us ignored it for years. I wrote it off as, ach, it doesn't matter. However, what detail, what love does God have for us? This is the amazing thing that he can speak into our very being and we can fully understand it. When we get saved, he seems to be able to speak into our whole birth, our whole life. You know, when you get saved, he seems to, it's like a total recall, isn't it, at the time? You're like, you're going back to being a child, you go, boom, 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 God shows you where he was in your whole life. He's going back to your birth, back to being born, back to that dialect, and back to that begot. And he uses all sorts of things, but mostly people, mostly people he speak. At this point, nothing's changed, but something's about to. And next week, we will conclude with this whole series of the greatest closure, which we started, I don't know, eight, nine weeks ago, leading on from Peter's encounter with Jesus. Remember, we started with Jesus, but we started with Easter Sunday. We started before that, but we talked about the cross and then the resurrection, then we went through into John. And we talked about this greatest closure but we went into deep detail about Peter's life. And then now we led on, now we're in the greatest opener, part five. Next week will be part six and it will close with that. I'd love to get through the book of Acts again, but we won't because we've already done it. And the first Christian sermon ever. And next week we're going to conclude with the first Christian sermon ever. The first church service or sermon ever. I will not get into it as time is gone, but simply read, simply say that the opening line for the sermon, which I'll read in a minute, and I have to be honest, 
I've choked, I've, I've read this as I've been studying this this week and I've choked every time I read it. And the reason I've choked is because in light of all we have spoke over the weeks, in the light of Peter jumping into the water, remember? In the light of Peter jumping into the water to swim to Jesus. Do you remember? It's the Lord. Cast it and he jumps in and he swims. In light of him, pulling the net, do you remember? He's at the side of the shore and Peter pulls the net with his bare hands. Almost he impressed Jesus. What about in the light of him sitting at the meal? Remember, Jesus made the fish and he sat and he had the meal and he was still to have that uncomfortable conversation. It was the worst meal ever. People say it was the best meal. It must have been the worst meal because he's waiting. He knows there's things to be said and he's still to have that scary conversation which we talked about. And like I'm walking along the beach with Christ as he is reinstating and commissioning him to feed his sheep and tend his flock. And like I'm hearing the words, there will come a time when you will stretch out your hand and be carried where you do not miss, where you do not wish. And lastly, in light of what Jesus says in Matthew 16, 18, and I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I'll build my church. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. In light of all that we've said, and all we've said in Acts 1 and Acts 2, Peter stands up. Some say that you're drinking new wine, and I'm just going to read one verse. And then it's just to give you a taster for the, this truly greatest opener, the first sermon ever. Acts 2.14, but Peter standing up. I just, it's just, he's just a different person. Peter standing up with the 11. So Peter stands here and the 11 stand up and flank him. Raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. And heed my words. And we'll get into the sermon next week and conclude with the greatest closure followed by the greatest opener ever recorded in the history of mankind. And the first sermon preached by Peter. The man who was broken, the man who denied Christ, the man who carried such shame, the man who desperately wanted to honour Christ, but inevitably his flesh was weak. But then the man who Jesus reinstated, then equipped, then empowered with the Holy Spirit, then filled him with the Holy Spirit to fulfil what Jesus says he would do way back. It's Jesus that builds the church, we know that. But then he used these men to do it. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Hope United. You can stay connected with us through our Facebook, Twitter and Instagram pages.